Hello, this is Hearsay number 18 and my guest today is my friend Johnny McKay. Some might know him from his Children Collide days, others may know him as Lord Fascinator uh, from his current project Fascinator. There's a bit of swearing in this episode as always, so if you're offended by that kind of thing, maybe this isn't the right podcast for you. Uh, So Johnny and I talk a little bit about a song we wrote together in New York a few years ago with our friends Stella from Warpaint and Elliot or DJ Equal. The song's called Shakedown, so I thought just for fun, instead of playing the hearsay theme music at the end, I'd play the song so you can all hear it because it's a fun track. Uh, The illustration of Johnny is by Arash Zarafian, who is an amazing illustrator from Iran, I think. We're gone global. Uh, you can check out more of his work on Instagram at Arash underscore Z90S uh, or his Facebook page. I'll put both links in the podcast description so you can find them. As always, you can see all Hearsay illustrations at Hearsay Podcast on Instagram or on the Hearsay Facebook page. It's well worth checking out. It's an excellent collection. Uh, please go and rate the podcast on iTunes or send me some feedback. I really love hearing from you. Here is hearsay number 18, Johnny McKay. Thanks so much for doing my podcast, Johnny. That's all right. Um, you're in New York and I'm in Brisbane. It's it's going to be awesome. I, I like to it, – it's fun to think of myself as partly in Brisbane right now. Is your heart always a little bit in Brisbane? Well, anyone that's been to Brisbane even once has left a little bit of their heart there or a, a little bit of their stomach on the footpath or <laughs> a little bit of their bladder in the gutter. I don't that's know. true. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that imagery. <laughs> well, that was always that was always my experiences of coming out of the zoo and walking into the valley and seeing some someone getting beaten up by the cops and to my left and a girl throwing up on her shoes to the right. Yeah, <laughs> so it, romantic. It was. I do, <laughs> I do miss that living in living in New York. Don't people <laughs> leave their stomachs and hearts in New York too? Uh, I don't, you know, I don't see as much vomiting, unfortunately. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, People are more private about vomiting in New York. They're more probiotic about it. <laughs> I think, I think that's the thing. Like all the foods have probiotics in it in New York. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Pro, anti, just biotics. Just biotics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, I really <laughs> wanted to talk to you. So basically these are just sort of conversations about how you got into music and where you grew up and stuff and what you're doing now. Um, where did you grow up? I went to seven different schools. Uh, I, I lived on a farm when I was very young. I had a pet goat named Captain Thunderbolt. And I, uh, I was very sad to leave the farm, actually. That was, that was a good childhood. Although at some point when I was maybe four, I... My parents were digging hole, like fence holes, and I disappeared. Maybe I was even younger. And it was raining and they kind of lost track of me. And then they, my dad, I think at the time, looked out and uh, just saw these 
little legs sticking up out, out of one of the holes and I was like sort of hands by my side, upside down in a waterlogged hole. But <laughs> uh, if they'd found me any later, I definitely would have been dead. I mean, oh maybe, who knows? God. Possibly some damage was done. I'm not, I'm not sure. I wouldn't know. I've always wondered that if, if, if I did have some kind of uh, problems, would people, are people just humoring me or would they actually pull me aside <laughs> and tell me, you know, that time you're in that hole full of water? Well, I dumped you down a little bit. Um, <laughs> where, where was the farm? A tiny little town called Herons Creek, the population of about five. And I found out many years later when I, um, when I was hitchhiking past there that um, Baz Luhrmann uh, apparently grew up at the – his parents owned the service station, the, the ah. petrol – I almost said gas station. I've been here five years. I say things like that sometimes. <laughs> You've changed, man. Yeah. Uh, I've developed a thick Brooklyn accent, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I lived there. I also lived at the, um, the Big Banana for quite a while, Coffs Harbour. I, and, and I've taken people back there like uh, that aren't from there. I took my friend Roya there once and walked her through the banana, giant fiberglass banana if, if people didn't know. And after it, she's like, it's not that big. And I was like, how many bananas have you walked through? Yeah, it's not that okay, big. Okay, how many bananas have you walked through in your life? <laughs> what do you mean it's not that big compared to what? I, maybe it's not, not as big as the name insinuates. Like it's not as big as you would imagine a big banana to be. Okay, <laughs> no, I, I, I take umbrage at that. And I can see how maybe on a uh, scale basis the big prawn compared to like an actual prawn, it's the scale's bigger. That's the, the, you know, yeah, that's a, whatever, the ratio, whatever the ratio is there. However, <laughs> I challenge you to show me another banana you can walk through. Okay, challenge accepted. Therefore, <laughs> I think it's fair to call it big. I'm going to make one out of felt. <laughs> well, and then I'm, I'm going to say, oh, that's not a felt banana. <laughs> and then we're going to have the same stupid argument. Um, I also lived on a mountain for a while and I lived on an island for a while. I lived in a lot of different silly places growing up, but, yeah, there's a, I, could, I could bang on. Is that because your, your parents were travelling around? They were travelling gypsies selling uh, a magical oil. A cure all? No, I, I don't know what that. Yeah, it was, it's a really a boring story. I need to make up something interesting for that. I've never really bothered. <laughs> <laughs> so you were traveling around a lot when you were little. Up to what point did you? When did you guys settle? <laughs> Once I got to New York five years ago, <laughs> I, <laughs> I sort of, kind of, almost settled for almost two years, and then kept moving around New York after that. Okay. <laughs> Good, so never. Yeah. Um, do you remember the first kind of music you were listening to when you were younger? Yeah. yeah. What, what got you into playing music? So I had a much older stepsister um, and she would send me tapes and one side of the tape would have like Public Enemy or something and the other side would have Sex Pistols and then one side would have Big Black and the other side would have, I don't know, like NWA and then she sent me, she sent me one that had... Um, might have been Fugazi or Big Blood and it had something on like that on one side and it had Nirvana Bleach on the other. And I was wow. a kid. Like I was a kid. All the other kids in my school didn't like. Like it was just I, I, I felt very uncool for liking this stuff. And, of course, now it sounds like it's a story I'd make up to make me sound cool. But at the <laughs> time I didn't, that didn't feel cool. 
Um, but, I, yeah, but, but I do remember being a kid and, and Nirvana Nevermind coming out and, sorry, and Smells Like Teen Spirit and me thinking it was a different band because I'd listened to Bleach a million times on a t- shit tape yeah. and it just sounded like, and then I saw this band on TV that looked like kids I knew from Coffs Harbour or whatever and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was a different different band. But um, His voice changed a lot too, hey, in between Bleach and Nevermind he sort of started singing really differently. Yeah, I guess it was that and it was, you know, spending more than 500 bucks on a recording and probably, you yeah. know, you probably, you probably you change as a musician, don't you? As you well, anyone, interest, anyone interesting does. I, I've always thought interesting musicians are, and artists are explorers and there's a lot of people that have made careers making the same album over and over again and I, and I almost always get very bored of those those people. Yeah. <laughs> But but anyway, that 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 was I, I guess that was probably my 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 oldest sister, oldest stepsister was probably to blame for my lifetime of uh, torturing myself and whatever the fuck whatever the <laughs> fuck I'm do, trying to do. <laughs> it's good to have someone to blame. Yeah. <laughs> so were you listening to like um, sort of hardcore or or what it, like indie indie rock music? Uh, from a pretty early age, do you remember how old you were when you discovered like Fugazi and stuff? Yeah, uh, I was pretty young. I remember. I think actually, Talking Heads was the first band I can remember liking. That does sound really cool. I know. I know. <laughs> it's like I, I, although I do, I do also remember get going to a Screaming Jets concert. So you know, it's all <laughs> swings and roundabouts. So there's some saying I could do that. So jets and hot air balloons, or I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so did that kind of music make you want to pick up a guitar? I, th- I think so, yeah, I think so. But I, I picked up a guitar in like year 12 and then um, – but then I kind of quit and whatever. And like I don't know, it wasn't really until I moved to Melbourne um, that I started playing bass with these girls and I think playing someone else's songs, which I, it's probably one of the only times I've really done that in, in my life where I've accompanied – I'm doing it now actually for a friend and it's really fun – um, but it taught me a bit about songwriting, I think, a bit, gave me a bit of a different angle. And at the same time, I also met this guy named Claude who played the cello and I, I did this instrumental project with him that was sort of acoustic guitar and cello. It's very emotional. We did, wow. did stuff with SBS a bunch. I met um, who did I, I met a guy named Danny Jumpets then. Oh, you know who I met actually then was Miles Brown who recently toured with me in Fascinator playing Theremin. So wow. um, that project, so cool. yeah, that project I had, eventually Claude kind of quit cello, which I felt like I'd get a divorce actually. It was very sad. <laughs> oh. uh, I, and, I, and I do love, I love him very much. He always, I have a special place in my heart for that guy and I miss him like a, like a brother. Um, also at the same time, my friend Johnny Gold Coast and I were making silly music calling it the Phillips Sisters. And we we were kind of going up to Sydney and playing crazy parties and playing a lot of crazy parties in Melbourne as well. It was very silly. Kind of, I'd play a Casio keyboard and um, Johnny would jump around. He's he's a he's a, one of those brilliant people I've ever played with in my life. And of course, he didn't. You know, he just didn't take music as seriously, I guess, because it came so easily to him. Maybe, but he um he I was just always. I think I mainly did it just so I got to watch him and. He would just make stuff up on the spot like I've never seen anyone do and take on these characters and jump around and it was very psychedelic, silly, kind of crazy music and then after a while we met this guy named Jim Barbecue and uh, so... (laughs) 
All these people have incredible names. Yeah. When and Jim Barbecue actually, him and his brother were two of the guys that started the charity Movember. Right. Um, if wow. I if I can if I can if I can digress for one second, I, from what <laughs> I remember is that they lived in this house and they would all chuck money in a pot at the start of November and shave their faces clean and take a Polaroid and they'd draw a moustache on on their own face and whoever got the closest to that moustache at the end of the month would win the pot. And, of, of course, now that's a multi-million dollar worldwide charity. I'm not sure how many of them are even involved with it anymore. But um, anyway, rewind to Jim Barbecue. Awesome. Us meeting Jim Barbecue and me and me and Johnny Gold Coast very much like – my name was Bambi at the time. That was my nickname. But um, we met <laughs> we met Jim Barbecue and Jim Barbecue, uh, we, we loved him. We thought it was amazing. So we changed the name from the Phillips Sisters to the Amazing Phillips Sisters um, he's also he's also very good at yoga, so he'd like get off the drums and do yoga on the stage. All that kind of fell apart. All the all the different bands I was in, those three things, different kind of within a year. And I went through this brutal breakup where I dated this girl who who wrote like this album. She was kind of writing this album, and it was sort of not really music. I was crazy into it. It was kind of adult contemporary stuff, but you know she was good at it. Yeah. And. I guess half the songs on the record are about our relationship and we had this brutal breakup that really tore me up. And then the record came out and it was very popular in Australia and I uh, I couldn't really walk past an elevator without hearing a song and going, oh, I remember that fight. Like, whatever. Oh, no. Like, <laughs> the, like the, the biggest thing, the big singles off it, like or one of the biggest ones, like the biggest one wasn't I Don't Think About Me, but there was like one or two where I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, like I'd hear them all the time. <laughs> Anyway, um, all that sort of coincided with me just going, oh, I guess I guess I can't rely on anyone and I'm going through some shit. I'm going to try and sing. I've never really tried to sing, so I'd sit in my room and write these sooky songs and sing probably very badly. And I was living with these guys. One was a drummer and one, one had – I guess he had, he had a bass. He was, he was really a guy I respected his taste a lot. And I tried to get them to play with me on these like really sooky songs I'd been writing and they were like, no way. <laughs> and um, but but we set up the shit anyway, and just started jamming out this sort of Sabbathy, st- stonery kind of music, real stoner rocky music. And then I had a f- I had a few heavier things I'd been writing for Philip Sisters that I brought in, and then yeah, then I guess we started the band Children Collide and did a bunch of yeah. I don't know that I I guess I've just talked to you from when I picked up a guitar till now, <laughs> sort of very vaguely, but oh, not to now. That's to. So, so probably around the time I would have, yeah, I may have met you. I'm not sure, but yeah. I actually feel like every time I saw you for a while, you had just gone through a really shitty breakup. I've had a few. I guess yeah, I've had maybe four, four really awful ones. But <laughs> I, I actually, I'm, I'm working on a record at the moment, and it's all songs from every single one is about an ex girlfriend. And, <laughs> and I didn't uh, ever expect to be recording these songs. Like there's songs that I've played to ex girlfriend. I've written like there's one girl I went out with for two years who's a, a legend. She's this Danish girl, and I we were kind of having a long distance relationship, and I wrote this song to kind of. We're having trouble, but I wrote this sort of song just to send to her. To like, it was a real like, I miss you. Sort of, it's called "Round the World, Aww. Round the World Ticket." Anyway, it was never meant to be played to anyone. Sent to her, and she cried at her desk and called me straight away. And Aww. it had the desired effect. But I'm actually going to put this on this record, and I feel like I'm going to be reading my diary to the class. But it's very, cath- it's a, it's a awesome real, cath- it's a real catharsis to do it. But it's also like fucked because. I don't know. It's just ter- I find it terrifying. But there's there's been a whole series of events over the last 
12 months that have led me to do it. So I started it last week and there we go. Great. <laughs> that What kind of music is it going to be? Well, all the songs I tried, well, what happened was I got invited to this um, songwriting colony on Nantucket. Well, I'm just skipping from wow. story to story so quickly here, aren't I? But, that's uh, it. No, that's what, that's what you do in this thing. <laughs> all right. So, so Nantucket, for those who don't know, is an island because um, I always heard the name Nantucket in Irish limericks and just thought it was yeah, some that's, like... Yeah, that's the only way I know it too. Yeah. I, and I, it rhymes with fuck it. And, and bucket and suck it. Um, <laughs> probably tuck it, but I don't know that limerick. Um, <laughs> but... Well, tuck it and tuck it. That's kind of lazy, isn't it? But anyway, yeah, which, which, not, leads, not which leads me to this songwriting colony, but lazy rhyming. Oh, no. <laughs> I uh, got invited to a songwriting colony on Nantucket and uh, it's run by the Johnson & Johnson family or a member of, of, of that family who have Johnson & Johnson baby powder and all that sort of stuff, I guess. Um, yeah, right. I was disappointed that there was no baby oil involved or anything like that but I got flown to Nantucket with a bunch of other people and we got put up in this beautiful house it's an oh yeah I was telling you it's it's an island off the coast of kind of Cape Cod uh on the northeastern coast of the United States and it's very beautiful and and every house looks exactly the same because well not exactly the same but there's you're not allowed to paint your house you have to just put up these wooden like shingles and then I guess there's like algae in the air or something turns them gray so every house in the island looks the same there's no advertising like no billboards and shit which is weird for the united states like they love a billboard um do love a billboard so it's very fortunate to get flown up there with a bunch of other songwriters we're there for a few weeks and we um met a chef that would come in and cook for us and there's no real wow it's just this like really nice um philanthropic side to the united states that happens sometimes that i i haven't really hasn't really been haven't really been privy to in Australia, but here I've seen it a few times. So there's they they just fly artists up there for just for the reason of encouraging good art, I guess. So what happened though was everyone else there was writing songs on guitar and voice, you know, mainly, and I'm like in the middle of writing a, making a Fascinator record, so super electro, yeah, and choir sounds and fucking weird shit. And did you bring your MIDI guitar? No, I kind of got there and like halfway into it, I'm like, oh, I guess if I'm going to do stuff with other people here, I'm going to just do these dumb like suki kind of vibe songs that I'd done years ago. <laughs> and I, and I, still, I still write from time to time. They're usually just for yeah. me or for one person. So I started doing that and then, then I got flown back there again after this to perform for this. Um, they were honouring a screenwriter who wrote Gangs of New York and wow. we did this weird like performance in a marquee. And um, for all these people, it felt like I was playing a billionaire's wedding or something. And uh, <laughs> then again, I, I thought I can't, I can't do my the other songwriters were my friend Jade, who has the same manager as uh, Beth Orton and Cat Power, like, and, and my other friend Mark. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't get up there and play do choir sounds and hip hop beats or a delay pedal. Like, I yeah. thought, oh, I guess I got to do these bloody songs. So <laughs> I did that, and I guess through that, it's given me the confidence. But what what was funny also about that screenwriter guy, I was like getting drunk and not paying heaps of attention. But I ended up watching the Oscars with some people a few months later or ages later, whatever the hell that was. And this, the camera goes, this guy, I'm like, I know that guy. And this <laughs> actor dude that we got over to his apartment to watch the Oscars is like, yeah, that guy's like a big director. He made, um, 
Manchester by the sea. So I guess after, wow. I guess that was going on and he probably talked about it at the time, but I didn't realise. But anyway, he won an Oscar. It was just funny being for being in this marquee with this dude and then seeing him on TV and going, I know that guy. <laughs> um, anyway, that's sort of what's led me to do this record, but the sound of it, we're kind of, I guess we're making it a bit more like uh, Velvet Underground-y, Sid barrett kind of John Cale kind of. Yeah, the producer I'm that working with. sounds awesome. Yeah, it's like the producer I'm working with is doing, I guess, what good producers do and making me sound like way less of a dork because I do sound like a real dork when I sing <laughs> the song. So he's kind of like producing the dork out of it and putting putting some like kind of... Putting some cool in. Cool stuff in it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they're all, most of the songs are about ex-girlfriends. I'm pretty sure... All of them are, yeah, yeah. I've only done two so far. One, one is a really nice song. I wrote about my most recent, the the girl that most recently broke my heart. But she's cool. Um, I haven't spoken to her much in a, a long time, but I still think she's cool. And and it was a really sweet song I wrote about her. And the other one is this song. Her and the ex before that are both from this one town in Australia. And it's a small town and the song is like says the town's name a lot and I actually just got this feeling that it's going to haunt me when I put it out. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's, called, it's called Fremantle Girls. They're both from Fremantle but we'll see. Yeah. Um, but what, one thing I did do right before doing the, the vocals was, you know, I'd, with social media it's so weird when you break up with someone and I, I can never like look at, like I blocked my ex ex and then my most recent I didn't block her, but I don't look at her. Like I unfollowed her and shit. Yeah. But what, but what I did right before that, I'm like said to Laura and the guy producing, I'm like, all right, just give me. He's like, all right, you ready? I'm like, hang, give me five minutes. I went and looked at both their Instagrams for like. Oh ages. my gosh. <laughs> and just just as like a weird sort of psychological experiment. So I hadn't really seen them <laughs> or, or really thought of them as human beings in a long time because you know you encapsulate. When people hurt you, and you encapsulate them in your in your mind or in your soul, and they kind of like become mummies, you know. They're this, yeah. they're this like dead corpse, like wrapped in in a bandages, and then covered in this casing that's then painted as an image of your memory of them. And obviously, since then, they've yeah, yeah. they've grown and moved on and become different people and had other experiences that you've not been privy to. So to to, to go in and look at look at their faces and look, and one of them in particular, like see her in a wedding dress and shit like that I only did like maybe a minute a minute or two on each one and then and then I between that and and the microphone from walking to my phone to the microphone I I said to him oh it's weird I don't really feel anything and then I got in and uh and then I sang the song and then after that I was like oh my god I feel like I just smoked a hundred joints it wasn't it wasn't painful it wasn't like the pain I remembered that, that, that had happened after these relationships, but it was something else. It was just something extreme that I'd gone through and then confronting it um, a long time later, in one case like a couple of years later, in another case a year later, or like probably three years later for one, two, three. Anyway, it was it was interesting. It was like a real uh, psychological, emotional experiment I did on myself and I don't know if I, I don't know if I recommend it, but it was interesting. <laughs> I don't know if it even affected the vocal, and you know what? We probably won't even. You'll probably end up going over that vocal, and who knows? But well, you know, it was it was interesting. I love that these songs, uh, from what you're saying, are mostly positive about these people because it's so common that people have breakups and then just write like, you know, 
like like I I keep thinking of that band the Queers. No, I don't know them. Joe Queer, he, they're like a punk band. Yep. He had a really bad breakup and he wrote this whole album um, and the, all the titles were like stupid fucking vegan and I hate your fucking guts and like <laughs> my cunt's a cunt. <laughs> wow. And it was really hard to listen to. And the one before that was like really beautiful pop songs and, you know, the the lyrics were like I enjoy being a boy in love with you and stuff, like really love. So, yeah, it's it's nice that they're positive songs. I decided to put "Stupid Fucking Vegan" on the back burner, um, just for the, <laughs> just just for this record. Um, I I of course wrote negative songs. Of course wrote you know both times. Yeah. And actually, I put out a fascinator song that's very that's very very negative. In a, but you know maybe you wouldn't know if you knew the situation. I don't know. I don't. I think I just hit a point in my life also that carrying like negative angsty shit around with me isn't that fun and and I've I've done it in songs that I ended up having to sing night after night and I don't know it's like it's it's all right but I I also I I wrote some nice nice like sentimental pretty ones and they're kind of fun to do too (laughs) yeah (laughs) I I only wrote one really mean one and then just the person I don't think deserves it but I just had to get it out (laughs) yeah but you're gonna put that one on your record though no no, she nah. she. I might one day send it to her if she's, if 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 we're if, we, if <laughs> no if we if we become close again. I wouldn't. I don't think I'd do it now and like make her feel bad. Like if it was yeah. more. For, it was more for me to go. Yeah, fuck you. But then the end yeah. of the day, like, what are you? What are you doing? Like, what are you doing with your life if you're spending your energy writing mean songs about people and sending it to them? Like, get all. Yeah, I, I, I think there's better things to <laughs> spend my time and energy on. That's yeah, I definitely think so too. But it is cathartic. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's been my therapy for for years now. <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah, it's what you do with your life. You put your emotions into songs, and sometimes they're good, and sometimes they're bad. But I feel like with um, Fascinator, I feel like Fascinator is a really positive or optimistic project. That's true. Like you, you know, you have these like really cool um, stage shows where you dress up and you have like people doing crazy shit on stage and it there's never a dull moment. Do you find that refreshing coming from a band like Children Collide, which is pretty heavy at times? Children Collide was very heavy in many different ways. Um, it was very serious and I'm not really a serious person. Um, I mean, I get serious, but in general. And I did mention my band, the Phillips Sisters, that earlier that I was doing before and during yeah. Children Collide which later became the Electric Smile Band. I don't know why I said yeah. V, it's just Electric Smile Band, like the Pink Floyd, <laughs> um, uh, which we're often compared to. No, <laughs> I, 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 think, I, think, I think all through Children Collide I was probably a frustrated Phillips sister as well. Like I, I love doing that side of music and I love um, – I, I think I've set Fascinator up, so it's everything that frustrated me in my much more financially or, or successful in any kind of uh, – tangible way was children collide yeah. uh but i've i've set it up so it's a lot more personally rewarding and if and if any kind of uh, that other kind of success happens it'll I, i'm not gonna you know i'm, I'm gonna be it's gonna be good <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be fun like it's the kind of thing where i've met people on the street and that day they're in the band and that night they're in the band and i i really do like that side of music and i love improvising set up kind of there's always parts of the set that are improvised um, I got to take like on Laneway Festival. I got to take 
my mate Mitchie, who I've always loved on percussion, and Miles, who I've known forever and always respected and loved. He came and played theremin and um, and synth, and then over here, like I get all kinds of different people. I had Kieran, J- I stole Kieran J. Callan's band the other night. Um, which he which he pretended to be cool with. <laughs> <laughs> I got to play at my fight tiny felt synth on stage with you once. That's true. <laughs> yes, I, I I'd love to count the amount of people that have been in Fascinator. Actually, I think it's definitely over a hundred um, band members that I've had. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's fun. And then so I made I made this record that Andy from the Midnight Juggernauts mixed. But we've kind of been waiting on it, sitting on it for like. God, probably seven or eight months now. I don't know. Are, are we going to find the right home for it, I guess. But hopefully I'll get yeah. to put, start putting something out with that soon. Your first Fascinator record, did that get put out in Australia? Yeah, but uh, it's all kind of us about. I made a record with Darren Seltman. That's kind of how it started. Like Darren Seltman, who was one of the found, original avalanches, he yeah. and I have been mates for a while and we were always, I was always like, let's do something together and then, I, all of a sudden I had like all these songs and I wanted to make whatever Fascinator was and I sent him, poor bastard, I sent him like probably 50 or more songs and he <laughs> like, because he's such a nice fella, he, he listened to them and narrowed it down and wrote back so this is what I think Fascinator is and then they ended up making this record with him and then I just sat on it for years, which I guess I'm doing again. No, it must be a pattern. <laughs> and then I went to New York and just made all this stupid shit in my apartment and put that out, Mr. Caterpillar and a few other ones and then... Then I was lucky enough to meet, or not meet, I uh, I played with Pond and Jody, who manages them and Tame Impala. Oh, no, I played with Tame Impala, actually, and then I played with Pond. And then Jody, who looks after them, sat took me out for brunch and said, I want to help you, I, like manage you. And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Like she she gets hit, <laughs> she gets, she gets hit up by a lot of people. It was, it was, it was, uh, a, yeah, I was pretty happy awesome. about that. And then I guess since then we've kind of been hammering stuff into place and building it but yeah so that's kind of where it's at at the moment got the got a record ready to go and just working it out i'm about to go over and play in london and i'm djing in paris stockholm that's like monday that's in two or three days and very disorganized for that trip but (laughs) how do you get your dj gigs djing was something that started really out of accident because I I kind of have a bit of a disdain for DJing (laughs) I think it's like born out of being a musician like no disdain but it's like people that take it really seriously they're usually the ones with shit taste too but it's such a taste thing as well but like often (laughs) I'll be I'll be playing in in New York and someone after me will come in with like this full some dumb setup or, or they'll have real attitude to me and then won't know how to plug something in after they've given me attitude. And I'll be like, oh, no, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe it's that. Like it's And maybe if I, I, I don't know, I mean, I'm probably, if I was to generalise musicians, maybe I'd have the same thing and maybe I just don't do that. I don't know. Um, but anyway, I got into that just through through this venue here called Baby's All Right. And um, I played there for, for a gig once just between bands and the, one of the owners liked what I was playing and said, hey, can you, can you come and play at the front? And I did that. And then he was like, oh, we're testing at our, our menu. Maybe it was the next night or something. And I went and DJed for, I guess there was a bunch of local luminaries that always in New York, there's like semi-famous people, but I never rec- not recognized them. But and he had a room full of people like that. Yeah. And I just played 
fucking like Aphrodite's child and shit like that. And out of that, I ended up being like, a, I guess, a resident at Babies Are Right for a good couple of years. And I was doing like happy hour gigs and not getting paid very much, but it, it was just like expanded my, it was like a, I did a fucking, like a university degree in music in a couple of years there because that was all I was doing really. Like I was working in this like retail store, like helping out at my friend's store and well, that no one was when there was no one in there. I was just listening to weird radio stations, like like podcasts and stuff. He'd come in and I'd be listening to some like he'd just he'd walk in. And there'd be some like Arabic chanting going on in his store. <laughs> like, what, what are you doing, Johnny? I'm like, oh, I'm just like waiting for this track. But anyway, out of that, I just built up this massive library of music of all kinds of music. And sometimes I do happy hour, which is five hours, and then the next person wouldn't turn up for their like six hour nighttime slot and I ended up doing like 11 hours of DJing and wow then they'd call me babies all night and uh, <laughs> I guess from from that like I'd start doing other gigs and sometimes I'd do dance floor gigs and sometimes I'd do cocktail hour at a fancy hotel and New York's just an amazing place like that where I can get away with not playing top 40 or any, anything I don't want to really like I'd, I'd get way more gigs if I played Drake or whatever but I kind of never wanted I didn't want to hate it and so I tell people to go and listen to it in a taxi if people ask me for that music usually but I guess it's <laughs> also cool like you have your own style and your own taste that people would hire you for that right yeah and that that's what it's built into and it's probably been a longer game to play with it that I didn't yeah. realize I was playing <laughs> Like, um, yeah. <laughs> I think I was just being a, I was just being a snobby jerk really, but because I've been a snobby jerk <laughs> about it, um, other, other opportunity, other opportunities have arisen that, you know, probably wouldn't, I could have gone in a different way, but yeah, it's fun. It's, it's, and it's a good little hustle, side hustle if you're a musician. Yeah. I remember when I was in New York, um, I was talking to a lot of people saying that, you know, you can be a musician, but you still have to do something else. Like it's really hard, especially if you're living in Manhattan. It's like really hard to do just music. And and DJing is like almost making music. You know, it's like a, it's still like music related and people still talk about you as though you're a musician. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I've seen the other side of that where I've confused people and like I know Jody has met like people in New York music that, that didn't even know I did like, like my own music, like just, Oh Lord, fascinated <laughs> the DJ. Yeah, of course. But, um, yeah. <laughs> and she, so yeah, it is, it can be like confusing for people, I guess. But, but what's, what I've enjoyed about doing, like playing the kind of music I play and exploring so much is I've just got an, if like the biggest library of ideas to do a thousand more fascinator records or whatever, it's been really good for inspiration. Yeah, um, I bet. Yeah. On the flip side of that, I come back to Australia and sometimes people book me for gigs without really knowing what I do and I just get, I don't know, like I had a fight with a lady because I wouldn't play like Usher or something and I, I don't know. I think I'm just used to being able to be rude to people here because you can kind of be <laughs> what we would think is, of as rude. Sometimes in New York that's just you telling people like even if my mate's trying to request something and I'll just go fuck off and they'll like, oh, fair enough. Like when it's like a lady asked me to play Usher and I say, have you heard that every Saturday night of your life at every office party you've ever been to or something? It doesn't really fly in Australia when I, you know. 
I guess that. <laughs> How do you find, do you think the um, New York music scene is, I mean, it's obviously really different to Australia, but do you think it's easier to get shows or do you think it's way harder? You uh, you should never expect to get paid here. Like you'll get, in Australia, like there's a, there's a, there's, there's two sides to it. Like, like Melbourne, I've seen some of the most amazing bands ever and they last three shows and they sell out, they almost sell out the tote and then feel embarrassed about it and stop. Or, <laughs> I don't know, there's yeah. like, there's so many weird like uh, psychological things going on in Australian music. But because of that, there's some amazing stuff and sometimes when it gets out, it's like it's fucking incredible. And they've had to they've had to go through a whole lot of stuff, or, or you know, or maybe they've come from a place like Freer or whatever, where there's been a bit of a sort of supportive bubble going on, or I don't know. But ha- on, in New York, yeah, it's easy to get a gig, but and it's also kind of you can you can build a bit of a scene and a bit of a, a group of friends. But I've seen some fucking terrible bands get supported here by huge amounts of people, and, yeah. and it's almost like it's it's. It's great. I feel so creatively free here. Um, but you don't get that intense criticism that's the flip side in Australia, which can fucking destroy you and crush you and make you looking, look over your shoulder all the time. But if you rise above it and, and learn to ignore it, like it's, it, it makes you stronger. You think Australia has much worse criticism? I don't think. I wouldn't call it worse or better. I, 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 sometimes it's really healthy. Sometimes it's yeah. necessary. Sometimes those guys should have quit three years ago. Sometimes I wish someone had told me. I don't know. Like, you know, who knows? Like, <laughs> so, so I wish someone had told me to stop doing whatever thing, like, I see a video of now and I wish I'd not done. I don't know what. Like, I'm sure everyone's had that. Yeah, New York doesn't, doesn't have that as much, but at the same time, yeah, it's also really fucking hard to rise to the top. Yeah. But you, you do, you do you know, you might, you might just happen to play to someone that changes your life. Well, yeah, I guess there's, it, there's people are more available there and people that, that do lots of things are available to you while in Australia we're so far away. Yeah, I mean, there's, 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 band, there's awful bands in Australia that happen to be best mates with someone at a big radio station and so have, have made a questionable career. Here, the le- level of that, you might be you 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 might be a millionaire because of just you happen to be best mates with someone and you're a DJ that can mix top forty. I don't know, like yeah. it's, it's weird. Like <laughs> so the, weird. the level of that here is so much more than cool. Every time I put out a single, it's going to get out on, on Triple J because of my mate or whatever. Here it's like I I, I learned to di- to mix Drake and Kanye, and now I'm famous for that. Like I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Did you feel like you were supported um, musically in Australia? Yeah, yeah, like of course. Like we were like we fascinated. Is it a very different thing? Well, but Children Collide definitely. We had an amazing run, and um, what's what's been funny for me is coming out of that and being at a place where we were relatively big. Like I had, I can say I had people kissing my ass. Certain people only because of me being in that band, which is a really weird thing yeah. to have happened. It yeah. was not, well, not very long, but what's funny coming out of that is um, the kind of people that have helped me now and the kind of people that I knew then that just I don't talk, like that would have talked to me all the time back then that, that don't now and it, it's just a really, yeah. or that could help me and don't help me or whatever and people I definitely gave a leg up to back in the day. 
Um, but it's always the it's always the same in music and, and arts. Like the, the people that are really fucking good at what they do are just good people. And that become that becomes really apparent when you've done something that's done well and then you're struggling doing something else. Um, well, not that I feel str- like I'm struggling, but, you know, I'm not living off it or whatever. So, yeah, yeah but people like Tame Impala taking me on tour, Jaguar Ma taking me on tour, like they're all legends yeah. that, that would do it no matter what. And, yeah, it's like it's just funny knowing who the real real people are. But also Australia's, a, Australia's funny at the moment. It's got a weird like maybe it's all around the world, but there's a real cult of personality going on I think in in music where it's a lot more about personality than than other things. And and that kind of that kind of skews a little bit in a weird way. I'm not saying I don't like it. I quite I quite like it, but it's just a, it just kind of I guess things ebb and flow like that. Why did you move to New York? Did you feel like you need just needed to get out of Australia? Yeah. Um I was in a band that was it was my main um I guess it was was my career, my and my job. However, we weren't we weren't we tried other territories and for whatever reason it, we hadn't broken anywhere else and we hadn't um, – we didn't have ever other places to tour where it made sense. Um, so the touring cycle there is every three to four months you do a tour and then I was sitting on my ass and, and I wasn't uh, – yeah, it wasn't – I wasn't real. I, I wasn't say I was discouraged but it wasn't – I didn't really feel like comfortable doing all the other things I wanted to do. It felt, it felt like I was doing the wrong thing when I tried to do push other things in my life. So I I just wanted to be in another place to kind of focus on other stuff in in, in, originally it was just for those like three or four months when I wasn't touring and then go back to Australia and tour. That was what, that was what the plan was. I was never going to end children collide. I was just going to be here and then go back every few months. But Australia also has a weird thing and especially the music industry with when you leave, you leave. And um, I left <laughs> and the second I, the second I left, it felt like, um, yeah, it felt like there was a shift in, in the way I was kind of, it was kind of looked at. But the reason I left also is I, every time I went to New York, I felt like home. It felt like somewhere I had to, somewhere I had to live at least once in my life. I had that feeling about yeah. Melbourne, Melbourne the first time I went there and I, wouldn't change it like it's been fucking amazing i've never felt more myself than than what i do in this city i i feel very free and um, one analogy i i've used before is the thing about new york city is you could walk out dressed just in plastic bags but you know that around the corner someone is going to be wearing transparent plastic bags so you can never <laughs> you know you don't have to feel too weird about it or afraid yeah <laughs> that's awesome i like that analogy <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to um, talk to you quickly about uh, when, you know, and I was only in New York for a few months, but we hung out a bit and we wrote a really silly song together. That is kind of like the gift that keeps on giving. I feel mm. like somehow a song we wrote became really lucrative. It, it actually pay, it paid my rent one month, which is, which yeah. like, I, I don't think it's- I've ever, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, maybe when Children Collide was, like getting paid in a brief brief window of time, but other than that, I've never had a song pay my rent, and that and that happened <laughs> from a. It really, I don't know how much I can even remember. I remember the four of us. So it was you, me, Stella, and and uh, DJ Equal Elliot, who yeah, um, who was engineering, yeah, and we just went into a studio um, just for fun to see if we could do something together. Now, and we wrote this song called Shakedown. Yeah. 
I'm a bit. I remember being drunk and doing these really David Bowie vocals, and and I um I think the song would have been bigger if he'd made my vocal louder. Like I got to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's all me singing yeah. with my little quiet voice. <laughs> um, I you also got to think though with Stella. So Stella, for those listening, is in War Paint, and she I saw her the other weekend, um, last weekend. She's touring all the time. How many of these songs does she have going in the world though? Like she could be doing this she shit would have all the heaps. time. Yeah. <laughs> but you like, and I were like, oh, what? We get. <laughs> yeah, she could, we're getting she could paid? Every, what? She, yeah, she could pay everyone's rent. No, nah, probably not. But still, she, she, should be, she should be drinking more whiskey in, this, in random studios, I guess. <laughs> and I do, I do think that she, maybe she started the song and then we just went along with whatever. I don't really remember how it happened. It was, it was some time. really, what, what I thought was awful CD you guys found on the ground. That's what it was from. That's right. That we then had to delete and uh, replay. Ah, oh, okay, cool. I was going to say some some dick from a publishing company that sued Men at Work is going to listen to this now and go, "Hmm, I'm going to get Johnny's rent back off him." <laughs> no, it, we didn't end up using the sample. That was just an inspiration, and right. then we took to, it. I'd out. love to meet. I'd love to meet whoever that person was that sued Men at Work. What a dick! What an absolute dick! Because I think it was a company that acquired a company. And then they would have gone through the catalogue and then they, they maybe heard it on Rockwiz or something. It was some weird story. But I just hate right. that kind of that sycophantic opportunism that I know. Goes with it's the music yeah, the music industry is funny, isn't it? You meet some meet some good ones, but geez, you meet some bad ones. <laughs> yeah, well everyone's just trying to make money. Well, they don't start out like that though. Some of them some of the people I've known that start out with amazing taste and like you check in with them 10 years later and everything they used to hate is everything that makes them money now and they they love it. Yeah, that's it's true. It's like, come, <laughs> come on, you're so full of shit. <laughs> get, just, get a, just get a normal job. Do you ever use samples? Yeah, but they're always like, um, I have a, of course, like Fascinator is like all kind of, they're all like the legal, like uh, copyright free drum loops and shit like that. That's, that's what Yeah, right. And you know, and, and MIDI is a sa- MIDI is a sample, essentially. So, but yeah, I use a lot That's of true. I use a lot of MIDI and a lot of uh, drum loops, a lot of MIDI, MIDI choir, a lot of dead dead people's voices on my uh, on my records. Yeah, <laughs> I remember once asking you when you first um, well, when I first started using Ableton and stuff, um, I was saying you know like talk me through your live setup and and what do you do and what do you play live and you said you pretty much just press spacebar. <laughs> I, I I said that. Yeah, I used to say it was psychedelic karaoke, but no. Now I actually do. I actually decided that was really boring. Even though, because originally I guess I played in a, a quote unquote real rock band for so long, I just wanted to take the piss. And also, like while that was <laughs> happening, I was watching so many backing track artists kind of um, slay, and you know kind of thought it was funny. And, I, yeah, so originally it was like me and the smallest iPod in the world. That was the first couple of gigs. But yeah. now, I, now I'm kind I used of, to do that too. Yeah, it's like it's it's I, I just kind of got bored with that. Now I play this Casio plastic guitar a lot and play keyboard a lot. And, yeah, it's been yeah. Uh, me- But you mentally. still press space bar. There's no, there's no space bar actually. I um. I, spacebar would still work if I use. I could start it with spacebar, but then I wouldn't get very far. It'd be the end of the yeah. track, and then that'd be it. Yeah, you can't improvise with spacebar. Yeah, I split it all up into loops so I can like cut them in and out and stuff, and just be like, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm basically, I'm basically DJ Shadow. 
fucked. <laughs> <laughs> What's less than shadow? Like, I'm more like I'm more like DJ Sweatmark or something. Actually, <laughs> not as cool as Shadow. DJ Sweatmark sounds yeah. awful. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's awful. You don't want to. You don't want to be dancing to his beat. Don't worry. <laughs> hey, I also I also wanted to talk to you about um the fact that you make a lot of your own video clips. Yep. Is that something you taught yourself? Yeah, actually, uh, <laughs> it's a pretty glamorous story. My ex girlfriend <laughs> from two years ago, one of the one of the Fremantle girls, um, she had she had a job in uh, Majorca, made made famous in Australia by Christopher Scase. Um, yeah, if you remember? <laughs> yeah. And she she needed she needed me to come. She flew me over there, and she was working all day, and I was in this like five star resort with a, a bunch of German tourists around the pool. I was Sweet. the young, I was the youngest person by at least 30 years around the pool at, at any point. Um, and yeah, I just had a week there. That's, and I taught myself to edit videos. Really the, the lead up to that story was way, uh, way more interesting than the actual story, which was just me sitting in a <laughs> hotel room and occasionally going down, looking at some old Germans by a pool. But, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd shot it. I'd actually shot a bunch of shit on tour with, um, Children Collide, like probably the last proper tour we ever did. Um, shot a bunch of weird stuff on tour. The June Rats were supporting and someone else. June Rats and DZ Death Rays maybe were supporting. Like, oh, no, Bad Dreams. Bad Dreams and DZ Death Rays. Mate, the, the, motherfuck, the motherfucking ba- little shit bands have supported us that are now like making bangs. Massive. Um, yeah. Yeah, anyway. Um, and then yeah, I was in Mallorca and just like edited together all this terrible footage I'd, I'd taken and told myself that way. And then kind of progressed from there. That was an iPhone. And then I'd get my friend who was a fashion photographer to shoot videos. And then from there, I then went on to have worked with some really good people, actually. Not that they, they weren't good people, but I've worked with the, one of the DPs I've worked with has done a bunch of features and stuff now. And I'd love to work with her again, right. actually. And then I, I got to direct a pond video. In Australia, that was fun it's for the, the 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 song Zond. Um, but yeah, uh, it's fine. I love making videos. It's like, do you I, use Final Cut Pro? I I do because I remember when um, when Spod started making his own videos, and I think I should mention Spod because I think he introduced us in the first instance, and I think that I trust his judgment in humans. So I was automatically like, I think Johnny's all right because Spod's really good mate to him. <laughs> he he, and, and I have to say, he he's been a very big inspiration with the video thing. Um, he made yeah. the, he made an electric smile band video for us, and yeah, he's 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 amazing. He's an amazing dude. I love. He posted up a, a review of Kieran J. Callanan's record that heavily um, re- referenced referenced Brent and I. Was happy about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's influenced a lot of lot of things. Yeah, <laughs> I think he's been a big influence to everyone who meets him. Yeah, I'm not being facetious. I'm making a joke. I'm serious. He's, no, yeah. I I believe you. Um, but yeah, I remember when Spod started making videos. Um, and yeah, your videos sort of looked like they were a little bit inspired by that stuff originally. Ah. Oh. He's, but he's also like uh, so cool because I I would openly admit that. And also I'd message him and go, "How did you do this? How did you do that?" And he yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, and actually, I have to say, since then there are bigger directors that I've tried to even like say, "Hey, can I come and just tail you?" Like people that are my friends, and they'll like avoid it because you can tell they don't want to 
give away the secrets and shit, but Spud was never yeah. like that. He's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, such a good dude. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Johnny, tell me your story about your strangest or worst show experience or just the strangest thing that's happened to you because you're a musician. Uh, I have a, I have a lot. Like I didn't I can imagine. <laughs> I didn't go, I didn't go back into Children Collide days or Philip Sisters days. God, like <laughs> oh, anyway, I thought I'd just tell a relatively recent Fascinator one because Fascinator gets drawn into all kinds of weird shit. I bet. Um, I, I think, I think when you when you can perform as a one piece, it, it affects things as well. Like, but like I performed at Burning Man on an art car called the Mirage, and um. <laughs> I've done, I've done all these weird gigs in tiny spaces. I played in a bathtub. Anyway, but this this one time, um, you played in a bathtub. Can I just go back to that? Oh, uh, it was about? like more. It was like a performance thing, and a anyway. That's actually that's kind of all there is to that story. <laughs> okay, but but this this guy in the Dominican Republic um, got to know me. He was actually he actually had a label that I almost signed to, but I backed out of because I I the my only enemy on earth was like their main artist. So oh. I'm like I can't I can't be on a, a label with, with this guy. What if we do CMJ showcases or South by Southwest showcases and I have to kill him? Yeah. Um so anyway, <laughs> I backed that. But he still like liked Fascinator and then I get this email saying cause he, and he's 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 quite wealthy and he puts on festivals down there. And I get this email saying, Hey, would you be interested in playing would Fascinator be interested in playing this um private festival I'm holding on my property? And I said, "Well, why, yes, I would." And he said, uh, "So, how many how many people are in Fascinator anyway?" And I went um, four. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, cool! I'll give you a bit of money, and I'll fly you out, guys out there and put you up." Uh, I think he's family and some hotels. I'm not sure, but anyway, we got put up. And so I immediately messaged four of my good friends, or three of my good friends, sorry, and said, "Hey, guys, we've." got to start a band or you or first of all I said do you want to come to the Dominican Republic if so we have to make a band so I got my mates together and we we made a band and it was my friend John Beecroft on guitar and my friend Jai, Jai Gonzalez on um bass and keys I think he did like I think it was I can't even remember and and my mate Fisher who's a punk drummer um and I said you're not allowed to play drums you have to play like Tito Puente vibes, Latin <laughs> percussion. And it's all right. He's all right. So we sort of jammed a bit and whatever. And then we just sent in a rider and he's just saying it's like, you know, wood blocks and cowbells and shit. So we get flown over there and we land and there's a guy there with a, and Fascinated still isn't a very big deal. But then we were, it was even less of a big deal. And um, there's a guy with a fascinator sign, which I was like, Oh my God, that's amazing. So he picks us up and he takes us to this fucking amazing hotel. And we got given like per diems and shit as well. Was, the whole thing was awesome. <laughs> and the next day we get picked up and taken to the festival. And we, we get there and the, the stage is kind of like, I wouldn't say main stage, big day out, but like, the next level down those sort of stages like it was yeah. that size that of production like a big stage still massive and, yeah or or like or laneway not the main one but like the next one down um yeah and on stage is this fucking like percussion set up like everything you'd ask for chimes everything so good wow and then they gave us in ears and whatnot and we do sound check and after sound check the girl looking after us Chuchi who was great she um 
put wristbands on us, but then she gave us these medallions. And she's like, no, don't don't lose the medallions because you'll need them to get into the gazebo with the Russian girls later. <laughs> and we're like, okay. We're like, all right, this must this must be some like Dominican euphemism for drugs. Like, we hope so, anyway. <laughs> so then we um <laughs> we go back to the hotel and have some margaritas in the pool because we could, and we got picked up and went back and did did our show. And we finished our set and you know have a couple of drinks. We're like, oh well, let's go let's go see what these uh, medallions do. So we walk up from the stage up the hill and there's a pool and in the pool is a trapeze, of course, and. Across from the, the pool, there was these two, there was a gazebo, and out the front of it were these two <laughs> shirtless, muscly guys holding spears, and the spears were, were crossed across each other. And we walk up, like, showing our medallions, like, I don't know, like, you know, like you'd show a fucking triple A pass or something. Like Olympians. Yeah, uh, like Olympians um, getting into the village. And the, the Olympic Village. I mean, and then so we, we show the medallions, and they these the muscly shirtless guys move the spears aside and let us in. And we walk in, and there was three, I think three naked Russian girls, paint, oh painted painted gold with gold what? metal masks on. And they the just fuck? they start tipping strawberries into chocolate and feeding oh them to God. us. And that's kind of all this there is to the story, really. We hung out and, and chatted for a bit and then we went back out and jumped in the pool and climbed on the trapeze and whatnot. That and is so bizarre. I, I did at one point go back in and Jai was like dancing on the table. But um, then the next day we flew back to they flew us back to New York and I was DJing the Tribeca Grand, I think. I just remember like DJing thinking, did that, did that even happen? Like what the fuck is that? <laughs> why, why, was that why was that even there? But yeah. <laughs> Why was that there? And how many people got medallions? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It was. It wasn't crowded. What the? That's so weird. I love that story. Yeah. That's a fucking strange story. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for being on my podcast. It's been really fun to chat to you. Thanks for having me.
really confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Do it again. Right? Okay, go back. <laughs>